Praise the Lord. Amen. Aren't you glad you have a father? You know, 2021 holds who knows what. But it can be a great year for you. As we follow the father, press into the father. And knowing that he's already there, wherever there is. And he's making way and provision and room for whatever this year holds. So we can rejoice and rest in the fact that we have a father who loves us, cares for us, and is doing everything within his power to do all the things that a father does. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today, here and online. God bless you. I'm glad you invited us into your home again today. Um, I I want to just mention we are today reopening um, our middle high school class, which is meeting in the youth center. So um, if you know folks, uh, that, that are in that age group, please let others know. If you're in the room, um, you need to get out of the room and go to, and go over to the youth center. We have um, teachers there. Yes, that's great. Thanks, Rob. Everyone's wondering what on earth. Some of you are having flashbacks. Some of you are saying, what is that? We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, and, and I want to thank, uh, special thanks to our, our elders. I don't know, I hope you enjoyed um, the, the devotional thoughts that they brought to us last, last week before leading into the new year. And, and I would just thank them for their efforts and, and their willingness to serve in that way. They, a great group of men who have a lot of wisdom to share with us. I, I, I keep trying to nudge them to do a little bit more in those areas. And maybe you can help me with that. Oh, well. That's another issue. All right, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's easier... And don't answer out loud. Do you think it's easier or harder to be a Christian in America today than at some other time? Just just think on it for a minute. And and whatever you're thinking, why are you thinking that? Why are you responding that way? Because I'm sure if we did take time to go around the room, there's a variety of answers to that. And, And a variety of reasons of why we would answer that question the way that we would answer it, and a lot of variables affect our answer, our age, our experiences, our outlook on life, our expectations. There's so many things that contribute to answering that kind of question, but honestly, it doesn't really matter how you answer that question. It, it doesn't really make a difference because overall that, there's one thing that remains consistent. No matter how we would answer that question in our lives Jesus never changes Jesus never changed our devotion as followers of Jesus is always to intensify is always to to draw closer and our priority and our assignment never changes to find folks that we can tell about Jesus And to put Christ on display through the way we move and live and and operate our lives. So we're launching into the new year. We're going to do a series this month, and I'm calling it In Not Of. In Not Of. You know, you've you've heard it said that as Christians, we sort of live between two worlds, you know, the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom, and we sort of live in between that, which isn't inaccurate, but it might be more accurate to say that we, we live in two worlds, 
But we have to remember that we can only be of one of them. You understand? We may be a part of two worlds, but we can only be of one or the other. You know, we, have a, we can have a flashback to the prophet Elijah on, on Mount Carmel telling the people, make a choice. Where, where are you going to live? Where, where are you going to be? Where are your loyalties going to lie? What, what life are you really going to follow? What life are you really going to just sell out to? If God is God, then let him be God. And if the world is God, then choose it. So I want to launch into that series starting today as we launch a new year. Why a lava lamp? Uh, some fun facts. Do you know that the lava lamp was invented by an accountant? You don't think of accountants necessarily as, as scientists or inventors, but an English accountant, Edward Walker, and he called it originally the Astroglobe. And it was invented actually in 1948. Now, we didn't really become aware of it or didn't gain any popularity until the mid-60s. And largely, it gained popularity because Ringo Starr purchased one. And what's really sad is there's some people listening to this are saying, who's Ringo Starr? <laughs> of course, we think of it as the mid-60s. It, it relates back to that, the hippie era of time and coffee houses and, and uh, psychedelic stuff. And, and um, it, it, it's really become somewhat of an American icon of pop culture at different times. And there's actually one on display in the Smithsonian. So you know it must be a legit kind of thing. I don't know. But I'm using it for one purpose and one purpose only. And I wanted to give something visual that we could connect with when we talk about this, this being in, not of in an environment that, that has so much in it and so much pressure it can put on us, but yet not a part of it. Able to still maintain, exist and function and be effective in the environment, but yet maintain an identity and still function and do the things that are unique to us and things that we are called and commissioned to do. We exist in a world, but we're not of the world we exist in a world system but we are made of just like the wax in the lava light we are made of a different substance faith is the substance we are people of faith and that makes us different where we can live in a world but not become a part of it and that's the underlying theme as we go to first peter that's going to be our text for the month, we're going to be looking at, at the writing that, that Peter gives us in his letter to the church. And he's writing to Christians that I think we can identify with. He's writing to a condition or a situation or a setting that the church was in that I think we can relate to. Um, the, 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 they were experiencing a lot of opposition. The, the world around them was not in their favor. It was not a climate that was conducive to, to spiritual life and spiritual values. The Jewish community was against them. The Roman government saw them as a problem. The, the cultural values and beliefs and lifestyles were, were hostile, actually, to the church. 
And Peter's concern as he writes his letter that he's sending out to all the churches is that Christians, if not aware, and if not on guard, that they could actually be assimilated into a world system because of its pressures, because of its influences, that, that they could become numb and even accepting of some of those influences, social influences, religious influences, political influences, physical um, influences. The church was going even in, in, was moving into a time of even tremendous physical attack. And Peter was concerned that if Christians don't maintain this mentality and reality that we are in and not of, that they could actually be a part of. They could become part of the system that they're supposed to be ministering to and changing. Maybe part of what was in Peter's mind as he wrote was the prayer, Jesus' prayer that the disciples obviously overheard. In John 17, Jesus prayed, to the Father, I have given them your word, and the world's hated them because they're not of the world, just like I'm not of the world. He asked the Father, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. We are of something different than the system we may feel or see or experience and live in. See, God has a strategy, and his strategy is that he calls people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He places us in his kingdom, in his family. He places us and leaves us in a world that he wants to save, even though he's called us out of it. And then he enables us and gives us the ability to be in that world, but not of it, so that he can, through us, change the world it's quite an assignment and in his letter as we go through it this month peter there's four major themes that peter looks at that he wants to highlight and that he wants to underscore as foundational as these these are components if we're going to be a people who live in and not of then these are these are irreplaceable they're non-negotiable and we're going to take each week we're going to take one of them and today we're going to start with the the first theme that he he gives us, which is that about identity. You know, we hear a lot today about essential services. Peter's saying that these four things, they're, they're essential virtues that every Christian has to have. So we're going to pray, and then we'll launch into our lesson for today. Father, thank you that you're our Father, and thank you that you're here. Thank you that by your Spirit you speak to us. Open your word to us today. Our hearts are open, our minds are receptive. We desire that you change us today in some fashion more and more and that you strengthen us and put us on our guard of who we really are in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, identity, it's foundation. In fact, for, for, for the four topics that we're going to look at, and we're going to look at their, their um, identity, holiness, submission, and sacrifice. Those who like to take notes and think ahead, that's where we're going each week, all right? Today's identity, and it's really the foundation of the other three. If this one's not in place, you're going to really, really struggle with the other three as we, as we get to them. So, and this is something we always have to revisit, something we always have to bring ourselves back to when it comes to our identity. Christian psychologist and author David Brenner defines identity as who we experience ourselves to be, the I each of us carries within. It's a great definition. 
It's important because our identity determines how we react and respond to the world around us, to people and things and events and, and circumstances around us. It's filtered through and largely dictated by how we see ourselves, who we know ourselves to be or think ourselves to be. Everybody struggles with identity. You know, you, know, you, you remember teenage years? Oh, man, that, that's a big thing, but you never outgrow that. Every one of us here today is probably struggling in some area about some part of how we see ourselves or how we identify ourselves. Oscar Wilde said, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. I thought that's pretty good advice. Be yourself. But what does it mean? When he says be yourself, what does that really mean? See, when we're born, our identity is largely shaped for us. It's largely molded and handed to us because we're just, we're just born and we're infants and we're children and we're, we're babes and we're growing and we're learning. We're born into families. We're born into ethnic groups. We're born into um, social groups, cultural groups. We're born into certain environments and, and we're born into certain relationships. So, so the, our identity is sort of handed to us because we form our identity largely through a number of those things. And that's how we see ourselves. And that's how we think, our, who we think ourselves to be. But then as we grow, as we begin to mature, that starts shifting. Because suddenly as we mature, we start realizing we have choice. We can exercise choice. And we start sorting out. And we start more and more choosing who we're going to be. We start choosing who the people in our lives are or aren't. The practices of our lives, the involvements, the affiliations of our lives, our, our values and our beliefs and our priorities. We start making willful choices in those areas, and it reshapes and forms an identity that, for some, that we think is right or proper. And it has impact on how we live our lives. And it, all of these things become being yourself. They become a part of that being yourself. And it's continually changing. And it's continually shifting. But one thing's consistent. No matter how we choose in all those different areas and countless other things that contribute to how we see ourselves, who we see ourselves to be, one thing that doesn't change, there's a shared truth. There's a common truth. There's a common reality that's true of every one of us. That's, that that our, every one of us, our identity is built on this foundational truth. That we are all born in and of a fallen world. Every human being is born into a fallen world. The Bible says all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. Our identity across the board, by being born into the earth, we, are, we have all been scarred in our identity, but by a knowledge of good and evil. Remember what happened in the garden? The temptation comes, and God knows that the day you take of the tree, you'll have the knowledge of good and evil. Sounded inviting, but it was a trick. Because why did they need the knowledge of evil? All they had was the knowledge of good, the perfect world of a perfect God, and man and, and woman living in perfect harmony with God, with themselves, with each other, with the world. 
But now they have the, go- the, go- the knowledge of good and evil because they chose to believe the lie. And in some ways, in the context of our message today, the temptation in the garden, the fall in the garden, it was identity theft. We became who we're not designed to be. We took on an identity that was never ours to carry. That's why Paul records that there's none righteous. No, not one. We've all been damaged. But Paul also tells us there's another identity choice that we can make. There's another choice that's available to us now that we can choose to to root and stake our identity in. Our identity, no matter how hard we try, outside of a knowledge of Christ, it's, it's rooted in the reality of our sinfulness. But now Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, but yet I live. But it's not me. It's Christ in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in him. The one who loves me gave himself for me. That's Paul's identity. That's how Paul sees himself in Christ. He sees and understands that we have a new identity through the person of Jesus Christ. Our original identity goes back to that union and correct relationship with the Father, with our Creator. And Paul's understanding that through Christ, there's that great Imago Dei that we can share in again, that we can lose our identity in, that that it's Christ in me. That through belief in Christ, through the salvation and redemption process and plan that he's made available to us, we can once again be recreated into God's original image of us and for us. And that's where the Apostle Paul stakes his identity. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's the foundation. If we're going to live a life that's in and not of, that's the foundation. The person of Jesus Christ and a life that's sold out to him, devoted to him, has taken not only taken advantage of his salvation and the forgiveness that he offers, that's just the entrance, but is pursuing him. As the Apostle Paul infers through um, the verse that we re- recited, that we see ourselves as, as no longer us. We see ourselves in Christ. That is our identity. Now, we come back to our text in, in 1 Peter, the first chapter. And Paul, Peter is writing to, to a group of people who have this renewed identity, this recreated identity. He's writing to Christians. Verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's a mouthful. But what Peter is doing, he's identifying who he's writing to, and he's identifying who these people who have a new identity are. And I love what he, call, he calls them exiles. Because they're living in a world they're not a part of. Other, other translations, instead of the word exile, they say strangers, foreigners, pilgrims, sojourners. Some even use the word aliens. Yes, there are aliens in the world. It's called the church. It's called Christians. But when we hear those words on the surface, it's not something we want to aspire to, is it? Nobody wants to be an exile. But he, they're not just exiles. He says, 
elect exiles. That's the good news. Because the word means chosen. The election of God. Now, we can spend a lot of time and, and months just dealing with that subject alone. But can, can you just accept and believe the fact that you are chosen? If you're a Christian today, God chose you to be a Christian. His divine election. The New Living Translation says God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. That's their translation of what Peter writes. To chosen people, God's chosen people who happen to be living as foreigners because they're in this world, they're not of it. God has always had a chosen people. He always has. In the garden, Adam and Eve were his chosen people. We go forward to Noah and his family. We can go to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We can go to Israel, the 12 tribes. God has always had a chosen people. Today, God has a chosen people. The chosen people that God has on the planet today are those who believe in him. Those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. You are God's chosen son and daughter today. His divine election has touched your life if you're a Christian today. He has chosen you. Yeah, hallelujah. But I've also lived long enough to know that good Christians sometimes scratch their head about that and wonder, am I really? I don't know if you've ever had that kind of a thought go through your mind, but am I really? And, and let me try and answer it very simply for you out of, out of, of Peter without taking a lot of time to develop any of the themes um, but, but Peter says, yes, you can know. There, there's, how, how do you know if you're chosen? How do you know if, if you're one of these elect exiles? How do you know if your identity is really rooted in Christ and, and um, can grow and be nurtured and continue to develop um, in that identity? How do you know? He says there's three things. There's, and there's, it's three things that only exiles know. It's three things that only people who have this renewed identity know. And understand, they may not have it perfected in their life yet. They may still be working on it, but they know it's true. They know it's foundation. He gives three things. He says, number one, you know that God knew you before you knew him. Talks about the, the foreknowledge of God. You know that God knew you before you knew him. You know that salvation has nothing to do with your merit or your efforts or your worthiness. And you know that. You know that, that God made a sovereign choice, and that's the reason you know him, and you know of him today, and only elect exiles know that. Number two, you know, that the, you know about the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. You know about the sanctification of the Spirit. You know that the residency of the Holy Spirit that is in you is, has, has brought about and continues to bring about measurable change. That he comes to our life to lead us and guide us and direct us and point us towards all truth. To take everything that's about Christ and reveal it and show it to us and refashion us more and more every day back into the original image and identity by which God in which God created us. Christ-likeness, you know that. Thirdly, you know that his blood has covered your sin and enables you to live a life of obedience. You know that. You may not get it perfect every time. You may stumble and fall from time to time, but in your heart, you know that it's true. He says, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. See, we know that at one time we were under the condemnation of a law of sin and death, but Christ destroyed that law the moment we believed in him. 
through his sacrifice, through the shedding of his blood, we know that we have the ability and power within us and have done it numerous times in our lives where we can say no to sin. We have the power now because the law of sin is broken in our lives and we're alive to the law of the Spirit of Christ. That we have the power within us to say no to sin. Sometimes we don't and should. But we know. And if you know those things, that's evidence. It's proof. That you're an elect exile. That you've been chosen by the Father. And I want you to notice something in that verse. It took the full Godhead to make it available to you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all had to participate. It's the Father's adoption. It's the Spirit's transforming power and residency in our lives. It's the Son's sacrifice. That's the only reason you know what you know today. All because of Him, not because of anything you've done, except be smart enough to accept His gift and His offer of salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank God. Now, all right, laying that as a foundation with this new identity, even though we're not perfect, we know we're not perfect, but we have this identity, this this reborn identity if we really understand that we can build on that a life of tremendous confidence we can live very confident in this life no matter what this life is no matter what the world we find ourselves in is we can stand and not become a part of it and not only that we can actually excel Sometimes I think Christians, we, th- we get the opinion that we're just supposed to survive this life. No, you're not. We're supposed to thrive in this life by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. See, exiles have little standing wherever they may find themselves in the natural. If you're an exile, you don't have a voice hardly. But see, with this re-imaged identity that we have in Christ, Elect exiles have the audacity to believe that they actually can do all things through Christ who gives them strength and can stand against any environment, any surrounding, because we're not of it. We're a different thing. We're a different substance. We can be in it, but it doesn't have to change our identity or affect who we are. Let me give you five things that Peter says just just quickly of the confidence that, that we can live our lives by. Number one, confidence of a living hope through the new birth. First part of verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have this confidence. When we have an, our identity is rooted in Christ, we have a confidence that no matter what the world around us is, is, is feeling like or doing or, or, or looks like and sounds like, no matter what it may be, there's something inside of us that has a confidence that it's still going to get better. That there's still something good on the way. That there's something more yet that just hasn't revealed itself yet. Now I'm talking about positive thinking. I'm not talking about um, just an optimistic kind of attitude or personality in which you operate. I'm talking about at the hardest of moments that that unexplainable voice that comes um, to you in the darkest times. In the loneliest times, in the most painful times, there's that that inner voice that still believes, but God. That with no reason, 
with no vision or sight or possibility of, of good coming out of a circumstance. There's something inside of us, there's a resource inside of us that still says, but God, that's the voice of this living hope that comes alive inside of us at new birth. Because Christ's life comes and resides inside of us. There's this living hope. And hope has a memory. Hope knows some things. Hope remembers who you were. Hope knows who you'd be today without Jesus. Hope knows the path your life might have taken if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus intercepted you. Hope has a memory. Hope remembers that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Hope remembers that we were at one time dominated by the passions of the world, the passions of our flesh, the desires of, of, of our own selfishness, that we were under the dominance and control of the prince of the power of the air. Hope remembers that. Hope remembers that we were at one time hopeless and hopelessly lost, but hope also know, knows that but God, but God, in his rich mercy because of the great love with which he loved us that even when we were lost in our trespasses and sin even at those hardest moments god is there calling us to himself we have this living hope inside of us this voice that we know and we've identified at different times in our life right when we needed it there's living hope that in the hardest times still sings this silly little song in the back of our minds his love never fails, never gives up. It never runs out on me. And on and on and on it goes. It grows, it develops. Even when I don't see it, he's working. See, hope knows that. Even when I can't feel it, he's working. You ever been in those situations? You can't see God doing a thing. You don't feel God doing a thing, but there's something inside of you that says, but God... He's still working on my behalf. We know that. And that gives us a confidence to live this life. Secondly, there's a confidence in the resurrection. Second part of verse 3 says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And resurrection speaks to us again. And resurrection says there's always more life ahead of us. No matter where you are, whether you're a newborn baby or, or if you're right living in a time just before you're going to take your last breath, there's always more life ahead of us. Do you understand that? There will always be more life ahead of us than there could ever be behind us. If you lived, Methuselah lived over 900 years and when he died there was more life ahead of him than behind him. That's what the resurrection tells us and teaches us. The resurrection tells us that we live in this life, but we live for the life that has yet to come. For the life that he's given to us, for eternal life, is how we live our lives, which, by the way, makes us very dangerous, or should. That confidence of the resurrection that Christ shares with us should make us dangerous in this life. Listen, the last thing the devil wants you to know is that he can't kill you. It's the last thing he wants you to know. Be because that, that's his trump card. 
the threat of, of physical harm and physical death, that's his biggest card that he can play. That's the strongest card in his hand. And he uses it to make us afraid. Afraid of loss. Loss of a job. Loss of um, uh, a marriage. Lo loss of a relationship. Loss of, of money. Loss of our health. Loss of popularity. Loss of position. You, you fill in the blank. He just wants to keep us afraid. As Christians, moving into a new year, we'll make this a New Year's message yet. Moving into the year, afraid of what the new year may have. Of things that we might lose if this happens or this doesn't happen. But can I tell you something? If you're ever in a card game with the devil, he's bluffing. You got to know that. He's bluffing. The devil lives on lies and deception. If he's speaking, he's lying. If he's speaking, he's deceiving. That, that is all. He's the father of lies. And he's bluffing. His hand is empty. Can I tell you something? He played that card on Calvary when Jesus died for us. Satan thought that he had won. But on the third day, hallelujah, Jesus showed that he had a better hand. He revealed himself. Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Hallelujah. And if that doesn't give us confidence, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't give us confidence in the life, then we're misunderstanding the resurrection of Jesus and its ramifications in our lives. Thirdly, confidence in eternal provision. Verse 4 says... To an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the heir of all things. And when the Bible says all in the Greek word, all there you know means all. And it's all his. Revelations 11 says the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Everything there is, is his. He's the heir of all things. The father has bequeathed it to his son, has given it to his son and made him the heir of all things. Then Paul comes along in Romans in the eighth chapter and he says that, listen, those of us who are these elect exiles, we're no longer slaves, but we're sons. And because we're sons, we're heirs and get this, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Joint heirs. I can't grasp the, the, the fullness of what that means because I don't understand the fullness of everything that Jesus has, that he is the heir of. I don't understand that. I do understand on a practical and a human level that in my will, my heirs get all my stuff. And my children who are listed in my will are joint heirs of everything that I have. Here's the news. The Father has put you in His will. <laughs> you get it? And now as a son, now as a daughter, you are a joint heir with Jesus Himself, with Christ Himself. I can't explain all that. Peter just chooses to describe it, saying, well, it's, it's eternal, it's perfect, and it's inexhaustible, but the overriding thing, it's ours. And it's ours. That should give us a confidence that there's this inheritance. We want to we have a reason to live in this world and not become of it because there's an inheritance. 
And if we could get even any kind of little glimpse of that inheritance, it's enough to make you stand firm and stay strong. Number four, confidence in divine protection. Verse five, who by God's power, speaking about us, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Get this, God is not only keeping an inheritance for you, he's keeping you for an inheritance. He's put his hand to work. It says that he's guarding. That word there is a military term. It, it means to post a sentry, to post, put soldiers, to put a guard um, over your life. Psalm 37 says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Can you imagine that? The sovereign God of the universe has put a guard on your life. He's put a guard around your life because he's a father. What wouldn't you do for your children? What wouldn't a loving father do for his kids? And here we have the father of creation who loves us, who has committed himself to keep guard over your life, to watch over your life. The challenge for us, don't resist his work. Don't resist him in his guardianship over your life. Lastly, number five, we can finish our text for this morning. Confidence, a confidence that stands in difficult times. Those who are these elect exiles who have this new identity, there's a confidence that we have to stand in, in even the most difficult times. Verses six through nine. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love how transparent God is in his word. I love that he doesn't do any bait and switch with us. I love that he tells us up front, in this world you will have difficulties. In this life you will have tribulations. That it, he tells us it rains on the just and the unjust. Now we may think that's unfair. We may stomp our feet as kids sometimes tend to do and roll and rebel against dad or complain to dad, but the reality is he set it up front. Remember, we're in a world, and the world that we're in is not in sync with him. So you will have trouble. We live in a broken, a fallen world, and you will have trouble, and you will have difficulties. But because we're not of this world, we have an option in those times. And the option is to make those difficulties work for us instead of against us. By the refining of our faith. See, Christians, people who identify with the Lord, who find their identity in Him, when hard times come, we don't run and cry. We dig our feet in even stronger. We get even more stubborn. And He said, David, Devil, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to praise all the more. I'm going to worship all the more. I'm going to press in all the more. I'm going to get into the Word of God all the more and find ammunition to use against you. See, we make our trouble work for us instead of against us and that faith becomes perfected and perfected and perfected and brings honor and glory to him and then also it has an outcome 
It says the outcome of your faith. These troubles work for us because we're working towards something. We want something. It's called the salvation of your soul. That's, That's what God and the devil are after. You understand that? Because your soul is you. Your soul is is who you are. Your soul is the eternal part of you. Your soul won't know death. It's the quality and and destination of your soul that that is determined by what you do with the person of Jesus Christ. Your soul, your mind, will, and emotion, that's what the enemy's after, and that's what God wants. That's what God has redeemed. That's what Christ has saved. That's what the Holy Spirit is sanctifying, your soul. And through this testing of our faith, the outcome is the salvation of your soul. That doesn't begin out there. It's present now. You are saved now. That's what God is guarding now. That's what he's protecting and keeping now. You are saved. And in the meantime... Between this moment and that moment, wherever we're, our salvation is perfected, wherever that outcome comes out, between here and there, what do we do? We walk by faith and not by sight. Though we can't see Him, we love Him. Though we can't see or naturally hear Him, we believe in Him. We follow, we rejoice, we rest and live a life of joy because we have this confidence and this hope that nothing can take from us. We have this walk and relationship with the living God that nothing can steal from us because we're living in a world, but we know that we're not of it. We're of a different place. We're of a different substance. We're of a different kingdom that supersedes anything that exists in this world. Why don't you stand with me? If you're at home and you feel like standing, I I encourage you to stand as we bring this to a a close. I, I want you to know something today as we launch this study. I want you to understand you're not insignificant. We we look at things, we hear things, we take in things, and we feel so small that I can't affect change. These things are so big, they're so important, they're so overwhelming. And the ramifications of some of these things seem so life-altering. What can I, we feel so small, can I tell you something? You're not insignificant today. His choosing of you tells you something, that life isn't random. That your life is not random. You've been elected. You've been chosen. You've been handpicked. Now, granted, sometimes that choosing makes us very much feel out of step with the world that we're in. And we don't like that feeling. And the temptation then is to make adjustments so that we can find some middle ground. Don't worry about that. You should be out of step with the world. There's an old, and I've said this before, there's an old high school curriculum that says if the world fits, you're the wrong size. We should be out of step. The fact that we feel that at times is actually a backwards compliment. It's proof that we're actually living in this world that, and not becoming a part of it. 
that it's proof that we actually have another homeland that we're part of something bigger something greater we're citizens of another place our world's broken but we don't have to live broken lives we're facing a new year we're into a new year there's a lot of hopes and that's fine but one thing that hasn't changed as we move into this new year our world is still broken the same brokenness that existed three days ago exists now in 2021 and I and I I'll predict some things, and I don't want to, this isn't negative any, in any way, but I, it's real. The vaccine won't fix it. I hope it works. Really do. I hope it works better than they think it will, but it won't fix our brokenness. Social justice won't fix it. I hope we make progress. I hope we get past some things. I hope there's reconciliation and healing that can take place in our nation between brother to brother. But it won't fix it. It won't fix the brokenness. We're going through all this political turmoil. And it doesn't matter who or what is in charge. It, it won't fix, they won't fix it. They, they just won't fix it. Then there's in all of this, in this world of brokenness, there's these elect exiles. And they know the fix. You know the fix. So if there's hope for our world, if there's hope for our nation, if there's hope for your world, if there's hope for the neighbor next door, the coworker, the classmate or, or the family member. It's not a program. It's you. You know the fix because you identify with a life that isn't broken. The life of Christ is whole and full and rich and you know it. The world that you're in and not of needs you and needs to know what you know. The challenge of all of this today is simply this. Can we be those people? Are we willing to be those people? To live outside of maybe a comfort zone, but to say something. To maybe take the risk and really reflect the love of Christ, the character of Christ, to usher his name or direct conversation so that we end up talking about things that, are, that matter for the soul of an individual? Are we willing in 2021 to be a people who live out of the, the identity that Christ has put in us? Amen? Let's be those people. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for this new year. Every day that comes to us is from you. And so we receive this day and we receive this year. And we ask at the very beginning, make it what you want it to be. And show us what you want us to be in it. 
we do know in part just what we've shared today lord that you want us to be those elect exiles that you can work in and through lord that we would live very strong lives in a world effective lives in a world without being pulled or tempted to assimilate or become part of the system that you came to save men out of so father here we are giving ourselves to you fresh on this january 3rd of a new year thank you for the identity that we have in christ and we pray that that identity grows and grows and grows in every one of us as we pursue you as we let go of things that could hinder or or things that are contrary to and we embrace you help us like paul to see ourselves crucified with you but alive in christ his life in us living through us thank you thank you for your people thank you for your presence among us today thank you that your blessing and your hand rest upon everyone keep safe keep protected and use for your glory in the name of jesus amen amen god bless you i'm so glad you were here today we'll see you next sunday either here or online god bless you